Well, thinking this morning about God at work, and that is the title of today's message, the idea that God is at work. And one of the, the psalmists puts it so well, and that's the reason I, I mentioned Psalm 10, is because how many times in your life you've thought to yourself, well, I'm a child of God. Why is this happening? Maybe you, you thought, why, why am I kind of uh, taking it on the chin here? Why is, is life this rough? And maybe in your prayer life, you've even wondered, where is God in what I am enduring? Or where is God in what someone I love is enduring? If you're at all wired like me, a lot of times it's not when something's happening to me that I have the biggest problem with. It's when something's happening to someone that I love. When something's happening to Stacy, when she's not well. When something is, is happening with Barrett and he's not well. And some of you know what that's like. You have, you've had a spouse or a child or a grandchild who is not well. And you really wish you could just take it from them. That you could just let it befall you and take it off of their shoulders. Take it off of them. And in Psalm 10, it's a classic lament beginning with verse 1. Why, Lord... Do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And that's what the psalmists often do in their psalms of lament. They cry out and say, Lord, it's not going well. And I'm not feeling your presence at this very moment. And that's something we're going to talk about uh, this year some is ways in which we see God but the psalmist here is saying why are you standing so far off You know, I, I don't need you over there Lord I need you right here because right here is where I am and right here is where the trouble is and so he goes on, the psalmist does in Psalm 10, and talks about the arrogance of the wicked, how they take advantage of the weak, how the wicked boast, how the wicked have such enormous pride, and that in all the thoughts of the wicked that there is just absolutely no room for God. And then you get to the end of that psalm. Verse 17, You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. And that's what you will always find in these psalms of lament. That they start out saying, God, where are you? but that they conclude with, but God somehow, some way, I know you're there. 
Because that's what the psalmist is acknowledging here. That you, Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You're the one who encourages us. You're the one, Lord, who hears us crying when no one else does. Because in the end, church, isn't it true that all we really have is our faith? In the end, that's all we've got. Because there, there is trouble in the world on this side of glory that no amount of money that you throw at those problems are going to make them go away. There comes a point with our health that the best doctors, the best hospitals, the best research, the best technology, at some point, it simply all isn't enough. And if we don't have a right relationship with God, we're in a world of trouble, aren't we? And so, I want us to think about the idea of God at work, even when we don't always see God at work. And so that takes us to uh, a story that happened some uh, 27, 2800 years ago. I say a story, let's call it an event. An event that the historian captured in 2 Kings chapter 6. I want us to begin in verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. And I'm going to stop there for a moment. This is not all-out war that Aram was waging with Israel. These are what we might consider border skirmishes. But the man of God referred to here is the prophet Elisha. And so Elisha uh, is aware of what the king of Aram's plans are. And so he goes to the king of Israel and says, okay, this is what you need to be aware of. And so the king of Israel would figure out that Elisha was right. That Elisha is someone who is worth listening to. And so, uh, verse 11, This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? He wants to know who's the mole. Okay? Who's, who's the double agent here? Who is, who is uh, working on behalf of my enemy? Verse 12, none of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture them. The report came back, he is in Dothan. 
Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? the servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment. Because what a sight that had to be, right? Because Elisha's servant wakes up and looks out and he sees what the historian, the writer of of 2 Kings has described as a force. So, there are horses, there are chariots. And he says, oh no, what are we going to do? It's a reasonable thing to exclaim, a reasonable thing to ask. You know, hey, you know, look look what's out here. They're coming for us. They're coming for you, boss. What in the world are we going to do? And what does Elisha? What does he reply? Don't be afraid. We've heard that before in Scripture, haven't we? Don't be afraid. And then he says, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see. Now, I don't know that Elisha could see it either. But what I do know is that Elisha has tremendous faith. And Elisha is aware that even when we cannot see God at work, that God is at work on our behalf. And so he prays the simple prayer and says, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see what's there. And in that moment, the servant's eyes are opened. And then there is a scene that I can't even imagine. I looked for some artwork that might capture it, and I wasn't satisfied with what I saw, with what I found. But if we can just imagine the hills filled everywhere around with these chariots and horses of fire. Now, it's not a stretch for Elisha, Because it probably wasn't terribly long before this event that he saw his mentor, Elijah, taken up by these same type of chariots of fire. Right, church? And for someone who has witnessed such a scene, that this strong prophet of the Lord who is now 
uh, he is poured out, he's done, and the Lord even tells him, hey, you know, it's going to be Elisha that you go and anoint, and he's going to take your place. And so after a time of serving side by side, then it's time for Elijah to go, and oh, what an exit he gets to make. Oh, that I could make such an exit someday. That those chariots of fire just come on down and say, hop in, let's go. And then off he goes. And so, Elisha, no doubt, is affected by this that he has witnessed. That he has seen the power and the might of Almighty God. He has seen what God is capable of doing. And so he is somebody who is filled with tremendous faith. And so even when things look absolutely horrible, when things look terribly rough, he knows, you know, God is with me. And so he tells his servants, those who are with us outnumber all of them. Open his eyes, Lord. Let him see. And there's that scene. Those chariots, those horses of fire. And so we read on in the story then. Picking back up with verse 18. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked. And there they were inside Samaria. Now, to understand, Samaria is a well-fortified capital city at this time. And so imagine you're ready to go wage war on this guy who knows every move of the king. And then all of a sudden, you can't see. And you hear a voice that says, hey, follow me. I'm going to take you where you need to go. And then when you open your eyes, you are inside a well-fortified city now surrounded by your enemy. And so at this point, verse 21, when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. What an astounding event, isn't it, church? What, a, what, a, what an amazing thing 
that there are people after you. And so he simply prays to God. And so we get this scene where now the king of Israel is saying, well, wow, you've brought our enemy into our gates here. Shall we slaughter them? And Elisha responds with this sort of ethical question. Well, would you slaughter people that you've taken captive? No, you wouldn't do that. That's not a good thing to do. That's not cool. And so he simply says, no, feed them. And so uh, he prepares a feast for them. It's not Ritz crackers and a bottle of water, church. He prepares a feast for these people. And then he sends them back on their way. Hey, okay, once you all have had enough to eat and drink, you know, glad you came. Now, you all can just go on home. Isn't that the exact opposite the way we would expect somebody to treat their enemy? Doesn't God time and time and time again show us that we treat people the opposite that they might expect to be treated? That when you know, we, we do things to, to people such that they might say, why would you of all people do this for me? After all, we've, we've not necessarily had a good relationship in the past. Why, why would you show me such kindness? And that's an opportunity to say, well, it's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. Jesus led like a lamb to slaughter. Chad read from Old Testament prophecy this morning as we gathered around the table for Holy Communion. And one of those prophecies says that he did not speak a word. In other words, he could have defended himself when he's in front of Pilate. He chose not to do that. No, Jesus laid down his life. And why did he do that? Because love is greater than hate. Because love is greater than pride. Because love is greater than selfishness. Because love is greater than any force, church, that the world has ever known. And Scripture tells us that God is love. Because God is greater than any force that the world has ever known. Oh, how many times have we been in a tight spot? Maybe we were the victims, but maybe, church, it was because of bad choices that we had made. We were in a tight spot. We were in a bit of a pickle, as the saying goes. And so, there we are. And there we are saying, God, I need your help. Like the psalmist, 
God, it's not going well. Why are you so far off? I don't need you over there. Please, Lord, I need you right here. But just as we see here in 2 Kings 6, God is at work. God is present in ways that we cannot physically see Him at work. But like Elisha, we should learn to be men and women of faith who say, it's okay. Let's not be afraid. Because I know what's around us. And what's around us is greater than what is pressing in against us. A verse of New Testament Scripture that I come back to again and again and again. And what is a lot of faithful Christians' favorite chapters of Scripture, Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. We talked about that this morning, that what does it mean to be called? And I mentioned uh, recently uh, grading some exams uh, from World Bible School. And they explain in their curriculum to their students that are, that are uh, taking the World Bible School, going through the curriculum, and they explain that what it means to be called is simply to have heard the gospel message. It's not like there's this some exclusive club and that God says, okay, only the good, only those who are good enough get in. I'm going to take the best of the best. Top shelf folks, the creme de la creme. I'm going to take those folks and then everybody else, no, they're not good enough. It's not that way, church, is it? It's simply that those who have heard that God loved us enough to allow His Son, Christ Jesus, to lay down His life for us. And that because Jesus conquered death when He walked out of a grave, that we too get to conquer death. That yes, we will suffer a death on this side of glory. But that that death, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, is merely a passing It's like a doorway. And so, all who have heard that simple message, they have been called. And so, Paul says it here, that God is at work. He doesn't say God causes all things, but he says God is at work. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to His purpose. In other words, God works on behalf of His children. God cleans up messes when we make bad choices. God is there, present, when we are at our lowest. Whether it's because of bad choices we've made, or simply because sometimes life doesn't go our way. 
Sometimes there's a diagnosis that doesn't go our way. Sometimes there are events, tragedies that don't go our way. And so whether it's issues with relationships, whether it's issues with grief, whether it's issues with economic struggles, financial struggles, that God knows where we are. That God hears us. How many times in your life have you or someone you loved been in a rough patch? How many times did you come through it? Now, it wasn't like you got to reach over and hit the easy button and it all just worked out. That it was all just sunshine and rainbows. No. Sometimes you had to work through it. Sometimes there was some pain. There's often tears. But then you get to a point where you can look back and say, that's where I was. This is where I am now. And it's in that moment, church family, that we need to be people who say, thank you, Lord. That God was at work through the rough patches. That God was there all the time. Recently heard a story from someone that I was having dinner with. And uh, he had let his life spiral out of control. And he sought comfort in the bottom of a bottle. And it had gotten so bad at home that his wife had had enough. And an event had happened and he found himself in jail. And uh, his, his wife made sure that he got the message that he wasn't welcome at home because she packed his vehicle while he was in jail, packed his vehicle full of all its stuff, and then parked it outside the jail. So when he came out of the jail, it's like, well, here's your car, here's your stuff. You know, there's a reason it's in your car and not in your house anymore. And so he drove down the street a little ways, still not over uh, his drunken condition. Pulls over in a parking lot to get sick. Happened to be a couple of guys that were working in that church building that day that saw what was happening, saw him out there. A couple of guys that, that knew what it was like to be where he was. Now, they could have just said, hey, man, I don't want any part of that. I'm glad I left that life behind. But no, they took it upon themselves to go out in that parking lot. And when he told me the story, he said they stood on either side of me and started praying with me. And he said, and in that moment, he said, I absolutely lost it. Because this man was a child of God. This man was a member of a church of Christ. And this guy was in a bad place. 
he had decided after he'd gotten sick, he looked at his watch and he was going to just hang out there until the liquor store opened. Because that's where he was going to seek his comfort. Was in the bottom of that bottle. But then a chain of events that happened that can only be described as God at work, church family. Saw him in a vehicle later that afternoon heading to West Tennessee to a detox facility. And so he has a job now. They appreciate him where he works. And he has, as God wrote to the exiles in Jeremiah 29, he has a hope and a future because God was at work. Even when he had severed relationships, made horrible choices, been kicked out of the house. But he is on a path now. All because a couple of guys said, we're not going to ignore what we see right there. We're going to go and say, hey, are you okay? And then in that moment, put their arms around him and say, Lord, we don't know this guy, but you know him. Lord, we don't know him. We don't know what he's been through, but we've been in a similar place. And Lord, we know that you can get him out of this. Church family, God is at work. God pursues his children, even when we don't see God at work. Let's have that kind of faith that says, let's not be afraid. Lord, just open my eyes to the ways that you're working in my life and working on my behalf. If you're here